As anyone knows that letting go of the past is difficult. It becomes even more difficult as we grow older. Isn't that true? It's hard to do that. But when we grow older, we kind of resist change that God wants to do in our life, even if it's kind of good for us. But the new life in Christ and becoming a disciple of Christ, by its very nature, requires change in our life. There's a putting off and a putting on, a grabbing hold and a a letting go. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. How our old self can sometimes can get in the way of our new self. What are some of the things that, that kind of hinder us along our path? And so, here's what I'd like to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth, Lord, that's in your word. I thank you, God, that it does have power. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in our life that helps us, Lord, to change. And so, God, I pray for the people this morning as they they hear that they would find this truth that's written in your word exactly as it's written in your word. So if you will, will you turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 14 through 24. Now, Paul is describing this inner conflict that many of us can recognize. It's almost like Paul was saying there's this civil war going on inside. There's this north and this south. We know it as what we call the the war within. And you can almost hear Paul's frustration in his voice as he struggles with this. Wanting God to to do something in his life. He wants to do good, but he admits that sometimes he has the inability to carry it out. Listen to what it says. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, Agree that the law is good, as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living within me. For I know that that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me, for in my being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we often see people who are torn. They can be torn between two loves. They can be torn between two colleges. They can be torn between two jobs. But the most absolute worst way to be torn is trying to live your old life and trying to live your new life At the same time, there's an old saying that the most miserable person on the planet is a Christian who is living a double life. You see, he's miserable because he's living inconsistently from what he knows is right. 
a sinner, someone who is yet to be born again, they're not miserable because they're living their life consistently sinning. They don't have yet the Holy Spirit living inside of them to convict them, to nurture them, to show them a need to change. They're not miserable. They're really not. They're completely not miserable at all. But I'm convinced many people are miserable in their life because they're still clinging to some part of their old life. They're accustomed to the chaos. It's familiar. It feels good. And you will see these Christians still making familiar laps in the same territory, wondering why they're wandering in their spiritual life, never embracing the Jesus, the new life that Christ died for them for. I think sometimes that we can hinder this new life, God's work in us, when we try to live our new life alongside the old one. You see, we think it's okay. We think we can live this half-hearted life, half our heart in heaven, half our heart in the world, much like the people in this next scripture that I'm going to read for you. If you have your uh, Bible, just turn to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Your, your iPhone is fine. Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. It's much like a church like this one. As do believers, old believers, people on their journey. Same type of people that you would encounter here. But he goes on before I start. He compares that old self, that old person, that old life to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles were pleasure seekers. They were self-sufficient. They, they loved the things of the world. They were carnal in their thinking. And so Paul writes to them to remind them of their new life. The reality of that, their new self, and how to walk it out so it does become their new reality. Listen to what Paul has to say. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality and to indulge in every kind of impurity. They're full of greed. That, however, is not how you learned when you first heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put off, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul paints this distinct picture of the old and the new, an old self and a new self that's been created in Christ Jesus. And he tells us, listen, you're no longer to live that way. No, you're to live a different way. You're supposed to live now as a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're to be righteous and, and you're to be holy. Here's what he says, that the Gentiles had foolish thinking. Paul describes it like the Gentiles. You know, and we, we're all familiar with that, how the Gentiles were. We can easily recognize that. You know, this old self wanting to do what it's wanted to do when it was corrupted by all the early evil desires. He goes on to say that this type of thinking is useless because it cannot produce the righteousness of Christ 
in us. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. He said later on, if you don't do something about it, you're going to become insensitive. And you're going to become hard. Now, the old self loves its own way, doesn't it? It loves to be the center of attention. It loves to be the center of the universe where everything else revolves. Loves them old habits. Loves them old traditions. It resists change. Rebels against God's authority. And because of that, that old self is incompatible with the kingdom of God. And so something has to be done. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I first became a Christian and I started my my own discipleship journey, I could identify with what Paul was saying because there was a part of me that just did not want to fully get with the program. It just didn't want to. You know, I had I had one hand on yesterday, one hand on God's tomorrow. And I'll be honest, I just kind of felt like I was being torn apart, torn in two. And the more that I, I focused on my old self by trying to be my new self, the more miserable that I became. And so I began to, to work on me. I tried to put off the old man and, and put on the new man. And the more I did that, the more dust that rascal kicked up. He did. I tried to reform him. I did. I tried to, to rehab him in hopes that he, I'd make him you know, maybe just a better me. But I'm going to tell you where that left me. It left me frustrated. I cried a lot. I didn't understand because I didn't know really yet who I was in Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you can identify with that. Maybe you know what that's like and you don't understand why. You can't seem to gain ground in your own journey, in your Christian life. But I want to tell you this. For any problem that we have... The Word of God, the Scriptures, is our compass. It will always point us to the problem and to the answer if we would only go to it. Now, if you will, turn to Luke 5. We're going to look at 33 through 39. This is the parable of the the cloth and the wineskins. This particular conversation revolved around some of the Jews and the Pharisees that they were asking questions about this new freedom that accompanied the work of Christ. But, you know, Jesus never entrusted his teaching to the religious leader because he knew that they liked the way it was. They liked the old way. They weren't interested in this new teaching. Jesus was not bringing just a new teaching, but a new way to live. Listen to what it says. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece of an old garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new one will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants to do, for they will say, the old is better. I grew up in the mid to 
to late 70s. Man, I'll tell you, it was a cool time. There was some really good music. There was Fleetwood Mac. Man, I was encouraged to go my own way. Y'all remember that? Everybody was encouraged. Man, the, the, the two greatest football teams were Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers. Every middle school kid wanted an NFL jacket. Y'all remember those? You had your team's logo and they had these, these sleeves. And they were hard when wintertime when you was at the, the bus stop, you were waiting. It took to a third period for your arm got stiff, loose enough to, to move. But also, it was a time of Jimmy Carter. He was president. Gas shortages. Long lines at the pump. But it was also a time that Americans had to be thrifty. Inflation was really high. My family was a middle-class family. We lived under that. And so every school year before uh, I went to middle school, right up right up until high school, my mom would take us to Sears. Y'all remember that place? Sears used to be a standalone place. we go there to buy school clothes. And man, my mom, she loved tough skins. Y'all remember them things? Boy, them things were, they lived up to their name. They were tougher than woodpecker lips. They were so stiff. They were so stiff you couldn't fold them for two months. But you could prop them up in, in the corner. But my mom would always buy these jeans six inches too long. Y'all remember that? And so and as I grew, I could unroll them. It was a cheap way of doing things. But let me tell you what's terrible about that is when you unrolled them every year, there was like a ring where they wore, you know. And so people, oh, you've had those jeans like rings on a tree. You've had those jeans for about three years, right? That's how long you've had them. But eventually, eventually, I'd wear a hole in jeans, you know. There was a time when you didn't buy them off the rack that way, people. You, you didn't. You know, so we would go outside and play, and, and I'd wear a hole in the jeans that, that my mom had bought for me. And what she would do, she would, and y'all may remember this, she'd have to put a patch on them. Do y'all remember those? And, and it was like this right here. Y'all remember these? Yeah, and so your mom would take your, your pant leg and she'd pull them inside out, and she's fussing and cussing about you tearing up your clothes, and she's ironing, and you, she would put these things on the outside of your your pants. But there was a problem with those things is that they never matched the old cloth. You remember? So everybody knew what your mom had done. And after a little while, they start peeling up on the end. Do you remember that? You know, and then you just look like a hobo. Right? You look like a hobo. And so I think sometimes that's what we want to do. We just want to think that Christianity is a patch for a tattered life. And so what we want to do is that we want to put a Jesus patch on our old life and just keep right on living just like we were living. It's sad, but it's true. We want to live our old life alongside the new one. And I'm going to tell you that's wrong thinking. That is such wrong thinking. See, that's like thinking that you have a broken down, dilapidated fence over here, and you think all it needs is a fresh coat of paint. Nay, nay. Nay, nay. That's not true. That's, that's not what it needs. It needs something brand new in its place. Now, I want to tell you that a relationship with Jesus is not about dressing up your old life, but trading that life for a new life. Jesus warns us that, that we're not to mix the old with the new. 
And so this morning I, I brought something to illustrate a point to you. So let me go get it over here. And no, this is not a magic trick. Now, can everybody see if I get right here? Let me get I brought along two of my favorite beverages. Orange juice. And grape juice. Good stuff, right? Y'all like that? Yeah. Good stuff. Now, when you first look and by themselves, these two gold things here, they're pretty doggone tasty, aren't they? They're pretty, pretty tasty. You say, now wait a minute, Bill. That don't even sound like biblical. See, this represents your new life. This represents how you used to live. And it's funny sometimes when we try to evangelize people and we tell them, you know what, you just need to come to Christ. That's, that's why your life is miserable. You just need faith in Jesus. They're going to look at you and say, no, it's not smoking weed. That's what they do, right? You can't convince them that their life is absolutely miserable. See, what we want to do sometimes is we want to treat the symptom and not the core issue. They need a heart change. Because the heart of the problem is always, what? The problem of the heart. And so when you encounter these people and they're living the high life, they're really having a good time. You know, it's like, hmm, sleeping around. Mm, watch a little porn. Mm, that's tasty. Lying sheep, mm-hmm, that's good. Got a good grade out of that one. That's how they think. And that's how they live. They're having a good time. They're loving it. And then they come to Jesus. They come to Christ. And it's OJ, only Jesus. <laughs> right? And so they wake up in the morning. They're like, oh, man, I can't wait. I just can't wait to read my Jesus calling. Oh, that tastes so good. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. God has forgiven me. Mm. Oh, that feels so good going down. Jesus loves me. I'll drink to that. <laughs> right? No no guilt, no shame. Mm. Oh, that felt good. And that's right. And that's proper. And that's the way it should be. But here's what we want to do. Mm. That's nasty. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is nasty. Tastes like Vita Vita Vegemin. Y'all remember, remember that? But unfortunately, unfortunately, that's the way some Christians think. That's the way that some Christians actually think. But that's not what God calls us to. That's not what he, how he calls us to live at all, right? To live at all. Now, I want to show you something right here in this uh, statement in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. 
Behold, all things become new. Now, when we normally read this statement, here's what we think. We think that this is a statement about how God sees us, how God feels about it, us, but it's more than that. It's more about this is what God has called you to as his redeemed children. That's really what this scripture is about. And notice he says, become new, not became new. And the reason is because it's a progressive statement, meaning that these things become new in your life as you walk in them. And so he tells us that we're to leave the old. Listen to Colossians. He tells us how this is supposed to look and and how we're supposed to live. It's in Colossians 3, 5 through 17. He says, therefore, put to death your members, which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived them. It was natural for you. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another. And since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of God who created him, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, disciples of Jesus, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body to be thankful. Let the word of Christ, the Bible... Dwelling you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God, through the Father, through Him. You see, it's not about blending the old with the new. It's about leaving the old for the new. This is how we're called to live as children of God. We're called to be different. We're able to do that because what a design that Christ gave us. Now listen, it was never God's design that we be torn between two lives. You say, well, how does that work? Is it spiritual magic? No, it's not spiritual magic at all. I think sometimes that we can be like the Pharisees. They were unwilling to leave what was they thought was good and comfortable and easy. They weren't willing to trade that for something that could only be done by faith. And so the first thing that we need to understand as a disciple, that we can't do this on our own. That's a work of God. It's a, a work of the Spirit of God. Once we've been born again, you can't do it by your own effort. The Holy Spirit is the transformer in our lives. Now, I think sometimes we run into a problem in the question that we often ask ourselves, well, Bill, how much do I do and how much does God do? Because I think it's either me working 
or it's Christ working. What I want you to understand this morning, that it's not an either or question. It's a both question. It's all of Christ. It's all of me. Together with Christ in this beautiful union. Made alive in Christ. And I live out this new life that God has given me, that God has made me. And so we're not to wake up in the morning and think of all the ten different ways that I'm going to get in God's way today. That's not the way that we're to think. We're to think, I've been made alive in Christ today. I'm holy. I am righteous. He is my father. I am his child. I am an instrument of God. I'm not an obstacle to God. And the good news about this new self, and I'm going to tell you, self, after you're born again, is not a dirty word. Because you're in perfect relationship with God because of what Jesus did. The good news is that you're free now. Just like that song said, you're no longer a slave. You're free to live this new life. You're free to play the game. And so you can get on the court, you can dribble the ball, make a few shots, and enjoy the game. And hey, listen, if you mess up and the referee calls foul, blows the whistle, you know, good. He'll let you know when you miss it. But until then, don't freeze up. Play the game. Play it to win like, like Paul says. Play it to win. You can do that. But I think all of it is that whole statement I just talked to you about is encapsulated in Ephesians 2.10. Listen to this. That you now are. For we are God's handiwork. Masterpieces. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, if God has prepared prepared good works in advance for you, what does that say about the new you? What does that say about your new heart? What does that say about your new spirit? What does that say about your new desire? What does that say about your new nature? You see, God, when you're born again, he's rebuilt you from the ground up. You're a brand new creature. So now you're free to just wake up in the morning and be yourself. See, someone who is born again is the only person on the planet that can be themselves and fully express Jesus Christ. They're free to do that. I like to think about this good works prepared in advance Kind of like bowling. You know, God, when you're his kid, he kind of sets life up for you. He puts the pins down there, you know, and you just, you wake up and you roll the one, bam, strike. Or it's kind of like t-ball. T-ball is a good sport. I was never good at baseball, but I did play t-ball, t-ball. And it was a pretty good game because anybody could get good at it. Because the team would go and they put that ball on the stick for you. The ball was motionless. You know, I didn't have to worry about striking out ever, right? And so all I had to do, I had to step into that box and swing and dike that ball, and I was gone. That's how much God loves you. That's what he's done for you as your your new self, this, this new creature. Now, I think one of the things that we do 
is you have to be able to learn what the Bible says about your new self. You got to learn what that says. And that's why Steve constantly hands out who I am in Christ. If you've been here over a month, you should already have that in your Bible. Or at least carried one. And there's a reason why he does that. Because it's important. It's extremely important. So now by faith, you're free to live out this new life that Christ gave you. And so unless you're sinning, assume that you're walking with God. And that you're expressing Jesus. So don't overthink it. Don't suffer from the paralysis of analysis. That's what I did. Don't overthink it. Live your life as the new you. Enjoy your life. Jesus said this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I thank you for making us anew. Thank you, God, that there is a new life ahead of us. Thank you for the the old man that's dead and gone. Thank you, Lord, that we're alive in Christ. And God, help us to, to remember, Lord, that's who we are. That's how you see us. And God, that's how we should see ourselves. Thank you that we're no longer slaves to sin. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to take that deep, deep within us and walk it out and enjoy this life. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, for making us brand new. So today, Lord, as we go, Lord, may we express you as our redeemed self to the world and our family, our co-workers, everywhere we go. Lord, let them see you in us. Lord, and thank you for that work in Jesus' name. Amen.